Welcome to Cardiff City Church Podcast. We're a Pentecostal church in the center of Cardiff, dedicated to bringing hope in the name of Jesus. Thank you for joining us today as we listen to a word brought to us by our pastoral team. Thank you so much, Amy. Well, a happy Easter to you all once again. And what a glorious day it is as we celebrate the history-defining, life-changing, earth-shaking news that Jesus is alive. My sermon on this Easter Sunday is entitled, Because He Lives. In these uncertain and difficult times in which we've been vividly reminded by the coronavirus pandemic of our own fragility, this sermon is a message of hope and it's a message that I'm believing will mark a transformational moment in your life as well. Now I'm going to be speaking today firstly about the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave and then secondly about the consequences and the implications of the resurrection for each of us. My prayer is that you would personally experience the power of the resurrection, especially those of you who presently may not call yourselves a Christian. The historical resurrection of Jesus from the dead is the bedrock of the Christian faith and it is the foundation of all Christian hope. You know, without the resurrection, the death of Christ becomes at best the death of a heroic martyr or at worst, it becomes the execution of a con man who attempted to deceive people about his identity or maybe even the hapless death of a lunatic who was deluded into thinking that he was God. You see, it wasn't Jesus' teaching, as inspiring as that was, and it wasn't solely his miracles, as astounding as those were, and it wasn't even just his dying, as crucial as that was, that accounted for the rise of Christianity. It was his resurrection. And apart from the resurrection of Jesus, there is no salvation and there is no hope. Disprove the resurrection and you disprove Christianity. But establish the truth of the resurrection of Jesus and it is the ultimate validation of Jesus's claim to be God. That's right, the resurrection of Jesus authenticates everything Jesus said and did and it means that all who truly believe in him have the guarantee of forgiveness of sin and eternal life. So there's a whole lot that hangs on the resurrection. One of the most challenging but rewarding experiences of my life was the opportunity to study theology at Cambridge University. It was there that I came into direct contact with some of the leading world sceptics and critics of Christianity. And so you can imagine it was an intimidating environment at times. In fact, I remember my first day of lectures. The lecturer started off by saying, anyone who believes in the God of the Bible is a blockhead. It really was an awkward moment. Well, for me at least. But it was also there at Cambridge, as I investigated life and religion further, that I came into deeper appreciation of the solid bedrock of truth that the Christian faith actually stands on. In fact, nearly 20 years on, I can say with intellectual integrity, I'm a Christian not despite the evidence, I'm a Christian because of the evidence. You know, I have a passion for truth and I really mean this. If atheism were true, I would be an atheist. Or if another religion or philosophy was true, well, I would be a proponent of that. I'm a Christian not simply because my parents are. I'm a Christian because I followed the evidence where it has led. 
And you know, this evidence for Christianity is perhaps nowhere more apparent than in the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, very quickly, I want to give you an overview of five lines of historical evidence which demonstrate why we can trust the biblical accounts and their claim that Jesus of Nazareth was indeed raised from the dead. Five evidences for Easter, if you would. And for your convenience, all five points begin with the letter E. The first E in the evidence for Easter stands for early. Now here it's really important to appreciate that, unlike other historical accounts which are sometimes written hundreds of years after the fact, the New Testament as a whole and the accounts of Christ's death, burial and resurrection in particular date back very early. Sometimes people wrongly say the resurrection is just legend. It was a story that was written and invented years later. But, you know, scholars, they can confidently demonstrate that the resurrection was part of the church's central proclamation right from the very beginning. In fact, it is reported in sources that date so close to the event that they could just not have been the product of some kind of later mythological distortion. The biblical data about the resurrection is the kind of source material that historians dream of. It is historical gold and there was simply not enough time for legend to develop. The second E stands for eyewitnesses. Now, not only are the New Testament resurrection accounts early, but over a period of 40 days, Jesus appeared alive many different times and in a whole variety of circumstances to many different individuals. These were eyewitnesses who the original hearers and readers of the Bible accounts could have checked out the facts with for themselves. You know what? We even have named eyewitnesses, including skeptics who went through a radical about turn because they encountered the resurrected Christ. How many eyewitnesses do we have? At least 515. 515 eyewitnesses saying Jesus is not dead but alive. I literally saw him with my own eyes. Now imagine having 515 eyewitnesses in a trial. You know people are convicted today in a court of law even on the basis of the testimony of just one eyewitness. So 515 witnesses that's a staggering amount of evidence. The third E when it comes to the evidence for Easter stands for embarrassing. Now, historians will concede that if a source includes information that is harmful or embarrassing to its own cause, then it is very likely that the data is credible. And when it comes to the resurrection, the Gospels explain that women discovered the empty tomb. Now, we tend to miss the significance of this today, but we have to appreciate that the patriarchal climate of that day was one in which women occupied a very low rung on the Jewish social ladder. I recall one rabbinic writing that said, sooner let the words of the law be burnt than delivered to women. And so the fact that women whose testimony was considered worthless and who did not even legally qualify as witnesses, the fact that they are the primary witnesses to the resurrection is most plausibly accounted for by the fact that they were the actual discoverers of the empty tomb. And the Gospels are just accurately portraying this. You know, in a culture where such a concession would have been embarrassing and damaging, in fact, to the propagation of the resurrection message, surely any later legend or fabrication by the disciples would have claimed that men discovered the empty tomb. 
And so all this bolsters the credibility and the trustworthiness of the biblical accounts. Women were reported as the first witnesses because they were in fact the first witnesses. The fourth E stands for empty. The fact is there was clearly an empty tomb. Now, of course, if there was no empty tomb, then there was no resurrection. And so long as the crucified body of Jesus remained in the tomb, a movement founded on belief in the resurrection of Jesus, that would have been a near on impossibility. But notice that nobody, not even Jesus's opponents, ever claimed that the tomb was anything but empty. When the disciples declared that the tomb was empty, the opponents didn't respond by saying, no, it's not. Instead, these opponents, they just tried to explain it away and they try to explain it away with outlandish and long since abandoned explanations such as the disciples stealing the body. But just think about it for a moment. The fact that they sought to explain it away betrays the fact that the tomb really must have been empty in the first place. And crucially no one, not the Romans, not the Jewish leaders, no one was able to produce the body of Jesus. This surely would have been the quickest way to quash the proclamation of the resurrection message, which is of course what they were all wanting to do, but they didn't because they couldn't. The final E of evidence for Easter stands for emergence, the emergence of a Christian movement and that in the very city where Jesus himself was crucified in apparent defeat. Before Easter, the disciples, they were dejected and they were despondent. Jesus, their leader, he had died a criminal's death and they fled and hid. But after Easter, these once cowardly disciples, they are now courageously proclaiming that Jesus is alive. And they're even willing to declare this to their death. What on earth could have happened to warrant such a change? Well, if the disciples stole Jesus's corpse or lied about the resurrection appearances... Well, surely there's no power of explanation for the dramatic change in their lives and also the subsequent and horrific suffering that they endured because they refused to recant their claims. You know, people may die for their beliefs if they think those beliefs are true, but nobody knowingly and willingly dies when they know they are perpetrating a hoax. These disciples knew firsthand that Jesus had really risen from the dead. That's because they encountered him. They talked with him. They ate with him. They knew the truth. It wasn't a hallucination. It wasn't a conspiracy. Jesus had risen. And because it was true, because they knew it was true, they were willing to die for it. So there you have it. Five lines of compelling evidence to show that Jesus was physically resurrected from the grave after his death on the cross. Early sources, eyewitness accounts, the inclusion of embarrassing facts, the fact of an empty tomb and the power of explanation for the emergence of the church. In my view, the only explanation that fits all the facts is that Jesus really did rise from the dead. Even former skeptics such as Frank Morrison and Lee Strobel, who initially set out to disprove Christianity, ended up becoming Christians themselves as they encountered the strength of such evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. I like how Sir Lionel Luck who put it. He said, I say unequivocally that the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so overwhelming that it compels acceptance by proof, which leaves absolutely no room for doubt.
And by the way, Sir Lionel is listed as the world's most successful lawyer in the Guinness Book of Records, and he's considered one of the greatest lawyers in British history. In other words, this is someone who knows how to analyse evidence and also someone who knows how to distinguish facts from fiction. All of this highlights just some of the reasons why Christians can be confident that far from our faith being an irrational leap into the dark, the central claims we make about Jesus rest on a firm foundation of historical truth. Contrary to the accusation of blind faith, this is why for me I'd say being a Christian is the most logical decision that I've ever made. Friends, Jesus, he really did rise from the dead. This was a real event within real space-time history. And so because he lives, we can know that Jesus really is who he claimed to be. He's God. And because he lives, we can also know that Jesus really has the power he claimed to have, the power to forgive sins. That means he can forgive your sins and he can forgive my sins. And because he lives, we can also know that Jesus really will do everything he said he will do. Specifically, he will give us new life here on this earth and he will take us to heaven. So what does this mean for you? And what does it mean for me? What does it also mean as we presently try to grapple with the issues raised by the coronavirus pandemic? Well, I want to highlight two things especially. Firstly, because he lives, it means that you can live well. Life is tough at times. We face pain and problems, trials and troubles, sickness and suffering, challenges and calamities. What a stark reminder of this that COVID-19 has given us. But know that because of the resurrection, we don't have to be defeated. As the Apostle Paul, he draws his majestic chapter on the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15 to a close, he declares in verses 57 to 58, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Now, by victory here, the Apostle Paul is not talking about having more money than you can ever dream of or never being sick again or being problem free. That's not biblical victory. Biblical victory is far deeper than that. It's about walking in the freedom that Christ has for you. It's about overcoming temptation. It's about seeing Satan defeated in every area of your life. It's about being able to smile even amidst the storm. You know, when depression and disappointment and difficulty come your way, remember this, because he lives, the same incomparably great power that resurrected Jesus some 2,000 years ago is available to you today. The same Holy Spirit who breathed life into Jesus's dead corpse is the same God who can breathe life into the dead areas of your life. Because he lives, you can also live by his resurrection power. Because he lives, you can experience true freedom. Because he lives, you can be free from negative thinking. Because he lives, you can be free from the mistakes of the past. Because he lives, you no longer need to be bound to destructive habits. You may not know what the future holds, but because he lives, you can indeed face tomorrow. Because he lives, you can even rise up out of the ashes of defeat. Because he lives, no problem is too big. Because he lives, no situation is hopeless if you'll simply turn it over to him. So when you face those problems, remember, because he lives, your heart need not be troubled. And when you encounter sadness and difficulty, remember, because he lives, you can know that a new day is coming. Because he lives, you can indeed live well. Now, 
When I talk about living well, specifically, I'm talking about knowing the liberating power of sins forgiven as you experience the new life of Christ. Sin is that brokenness that is caused by going our own way, which results in disconnection from God and also one another. It causes us to make all kinds of mistakes and do all kinds of rubbish that hurts ourselves and hurts others too. But Jesus forgives sin. When we invite Jesus into our heart, he fixes our brokenness. He heals our heart. He makes us new. And that means you can leave your old life behind and embark upon a new day of new possibilities, unshackled by the pains and mistakes of yesterday. So no matter what you have done, I want to tell you there is grace, redemption and renewal. No matter how bad you think you are, the death and resurrection of Jesus reminds us our sins can never be greater than the love of God. We can never mess up so badly that God cannot fix it. And that means that you don't have to carry your burden any longer. Because he lives, you can live well. Secondly, because he lives, you can die well. The coronavirus pandemic has reminded us of our vulnerability and our mortality. It's a striking reminder of the universal problem that we've all got, death. You see, the truth is everybody dies. I'm going to die someday and so are you. The Bible actually talks about death, but it also talks about life beyond this life, that once we pass through death's door, we will end up in one of two places, heaven or hell. And for those who have trusted Jesus, they can have a home with him in heaven. It's an amazing promise, an amazing hope that Jesus offers us. And that means because he lives, we can face death with a certain knowledge that we will spend eternity with Jesus, our saviour in heaven. And that means we can die well because we know that our eternal future is secure. That regardless of the manner of death, no Christian has to fear death. As the Apostle Paul once said, referring to the certain hope in the resurrection, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. So if you're suffering today, know that God understands your pain. But let me tell you something too. Your suffering will pale in comparison to what God has in store for you and all his followers in heaven. As his body was resurrected, so too will you rise and never experience pain trouble or death ever again. This is because through the resurrection, Jesus has put death to death. Because Christ has been raised, we will be raised too. I love the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 2.9. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. As I conclude, let me say, I think that two of the fears that we grapple with as human beings are the fear of living and the fear of dying. But because he lives, Jesus, he gives us the power to live well and to die well. Because Jesus lives, you can know for sure that he is who he said he is, that he has the power he claimed he had and that he will do everything he said he will do. Today, what are you going to do with the Jesus of the resurrection? No one can remain neutral regarding Jesus's resurrection. The resurrection demands a response. The claim is simply too staggering and the implications are far too immense to leave it at neutral. We must either receive or reject it as truth and ultimately to remain undecided is as good as rejecting it. To those who receive him, to those who receive Jesus and put their faith in him, not only do you have the awesome promise that you will live forever in the presence of God in heaven, but you can experience the tremendous joy, freedom, 
beauty and power of knowing right now that your sins have been forgiven once and for all. Do you want to receive this? This is what the risen Christ is inviting you to receive today on this Easter Sunday, to receive him as the Lord and saviour of your life and to know the power of his resurrection. If your answer to this life-changing invitation is yes, then I want to invite you to say this prayer with me that's going to appear on the screen in a moment. It's a prayer through which you can make peace with God and experience the love of God as you enter into a personal relationship with Jesus. So here's the prayer. Jesus, I acknowledge that I have done wrong things and that my sin has separated me from you. But I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. Today I ask for your forgiveness and thank you for your gift of new life. I receive you as my Lord and Saviour. I choose relationship with you and I choose to live for you. Please come into my heart and change my life now and forevermore. Amen. If you said that prayer today for the first time or in a new and a meaningful way, congratulations. I'm so thrilled for you. You will soon discover that that is the best decision you could have ever made. Please, can I ask that you do one thing, that you tell our online pastors about that right now through the link in the chat function, or at the very least, visit our church website. The URL is on the screen. That will just enable you to follow through that decision. But congratulations. My prayer for you is that this will be the start of the rest of your life. Well, as we close our service today, let me say once again on behalf of the whole team here, Happy Easter. Let's sing that and let's celebrate. Why? Because he lives. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. To find out more, visit our website at citychurchcardiff.com or find us on social media.